I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, all you scaredy legends. This is Damo. I just wanted to once again throw out some quick little plugs before the episode. Firstly, if you're in Melbourne, I'm now running a monthly screenwriters club at the Nova Cinema in Carlton, where on the first Monday of every month, we head to the movies to watch a new release and then go around the corner to Story Studios Australia to enjoy some refreshments and chat through the movie. It's a lot of fun, very laid back. You get to meet some awesome people and, of course, do our favourite thing of talking movies. You can find all further details and the booking link at tinyurl.com forward slash screenwriters club. And I'll also add that link to the show notes as well. Secondly... Our Patreon. We are having so much fun over there, not only creating a score of bonus content, including small screen scares, our RPG campaigns, and a whole bunch of other interesting apps, but also connecting with all our patrons and discovering if they're cowards or brave babes. And because we've reached our first two initial stretch goals, we also have even more bonus content coming up on top of our current weekly episodes, including an audio commentary for a movie chosen by our patrons, And Sean is going to deliver us the incredible gift of his movie maintenance for the Underworld franchise. I'm so freaking excited for it. You can sign up now for just five bucks a month at patreon.com forward slash scaredy boys. That's it. Thanks so much, everyone. And stay scared. You're listening to the Sans Pants Network. Home of comedy, (laughs) culture, adventures, and ghosts. Hello and welcome to Scaredy Boys, a podcast where three cowardly friends discuss horror movies. I'm Damien. I'm Sean. And I'm Tom. And for this episode, we watched Knock at the Cabin. Knock at the Cabin is a 2023 American apocalyptic psychological horror film written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan based on the 2018 novel The Cabin at the End of the World by Paul Tremblay. While vacationing at a remote cabin, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand that their family make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. With limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. Um, can we just get just straight off the bat that the title of the book is infinitely better than the title of the film? One million percent. Why change it? Yes. Such a shit title. Yeah. I like. Do you think it's it's a thing of going like, hey, this is an adaptation. It obviously it does differ. The ending in particular differs from the the ending of the book. That it's like, oh, this is its own thing. Or Shyamalan just thought, nah, I like Knock at the Cabin. It's funny because I think Cabin at the End of the World. You're in the horror vibe already. Yeah, Knock yeah. at the Cabin could be the title of just like a bit of a silly, fun sort of movie. It could be a rom-com for all you know. Like- yeah. it, it has big slasher vibes, Knock at the Cabin. And I don't know whether they were trying to like destabilize the audience and not have them know right, right. what the movie's about. Because if you watch, tra- like I remember seeing a trailer for it. Mm. They don't really give you a lot. And it's very vague, even though within 10 minutes you get the, the kind of core yeah. conceit of the yeah. film. Which is, hey, the world's ending unless one of you kill one of you. Right. Like, we need a sacrifice. And even, like, them being on the outside of the cabin knocking, 
that's not a big time. Like that's a very <laughs> like the trailer did this. The trailer was actually great. I thought one of those trailers that didn't give away too much, mostly because they did stick with the knock part and they had this great thing where the camera sort of was tilting with every knock that they gave i think it was like six knocks or something like that and so it kind of really did emphasize it but the movie itself yeah whatever they they very quickly get into that cavern yeah i guess also maybe they want to keep like changing the title means that i guess from a marketing perspective cabin at the end of the world you assume it's going to be a post-apocalyptic story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas, it, if anything, it's a very pre-apocalyptic yes, story. Yeah. But um, just I just wanted to get out of the way. That wasn't me being like, hey, M. Night, I don't like you. <laughs> I actually want to say, after watching this, that I... No. No, Tom. I know where you're going. Sean? I know what you're going to suggest. Sean? I hate it already, Tom. You don't know what I'm about to suggest. Today. You don't know. No, I I can read. I know you very well. I know that you're going to be like, hey boys, last year, year of fear. This year, year of M Night. Let's watch a bunch of M Night movies. No, 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 no. That that's although, although you're thinking that though, aren't you? You're thinking it. Do you know what, Sean? I'm I'm thinking about the big M, and I'm also drinking a big M, so it's a match made in heaven, baby. No, I think that the the thing that that I found watching this movie is that weirdly, just on my own, independent of the two of mm. you, I've been on a bit of an M Night kick. Okay. My current on Letterboxd, as of recording, my top director is the great Big M. Wow. For the year, you mean? For the year, yeah. How many? Two. <laughs> <laughs> Those Letterbox stats. But also towards the end of last year, I did watch another, like another couple. So right. I probably watched four in the space of about four months. Okay. And I, I just want to say on, on a recorded format that I think, I think the man has... He made a couple of shit films. Like, mm. I'm not going to mince words. The Happening is garbage. Mm-hmm. The Avatar movie is not a good film. <laughs> but I think the issue is that people sort of go, oh, that's the guy who does the twist. So that's the guy who made The Happening. Sure. And I don't think they sort of sit back and realize that he's actually a really good director. Yeah. And he's actually a really, like, dynamic director. He uses the camera in interesting mm. ways. Like, we did Signs. We've talked about him in Signs. But even some of the newer stuff that he's made... Like, Old has some really cool stuff in it. I watched The Visit. Mm. Like I, I think he just uses the camera in a really interesting way. And I think um, Knock at the Cabin, for whatever we think about the film or the change of the title yeah. or whatever, is is he's, he directs it really well. He shoots the shit out Holy of Holy shit, does he? Yeah, 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 dude. Like, straight away, the, the, the close-ups they have with when uh, Batista is talking to the girl. What's her name? I've already forgotten. When? When, yeah. When they have, when he's having that chat with her at the start, and you've got these these beautiful close ups that are like so intimate and so like you're really getting that sense of presence, and it's just already I was like pretty wowed by it. But then once I sort of caught on to his his framing for this shot, and like the cinematographer should also probably get a nod. But some of the framing in this thing is off the fucking chain. It was just I just thought it was like beautiful. Does it helped that the cabin itself was like the most gorgeous cabin. Floor to ceiling, fucking bookshelf. The lighting was beautiful, always. But some of his, some of his, uh, his framing was just, yeah. I thought, yep, print that out, put it on a wall. That's fucking stunning. So one of the cinematog, so there are two cinematographers for this film. Really, uh, one of them is uh, Egger's go-to guy. He did the Lighthouse, the Witch, and the Northman. Oh, and that's yeah. They're all very sort of. Um, Oh fuck! What's the word I'm trying to think of? Like almost like there's there's an art to the actual each shot itself is like yeah this beautiful piece of artwork. And the other cinematographer has basically looks like he hasn't done a heap of stuff, but has done the movie Thunder Road, Sean. Oh, with Jim Cummins. <laughs> oh, okay. Jim Cummins. So and also I think it's one of the directors or cinematographers for M Night's TV series oh, Servant. Um, Servant. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool. 
Interesting yeah. to have two cinematographers. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And I'm always fascinated with how M. Night deals with cinematographers because he's a really strong... I think he's a really strong visual storyteller. Yes. I don't particularly think he's a great writer. Mm. Okay. And I think at a certain point in his career, he may have been swallowed up by his own ass. Yeah. And yeah. I wanted to ask you guys, do you think that the fact that M. Night is like... He's the twist man. Right. He's well known as like, all these movies have the big fucking twist at the end that's psycho... Mm. Do you think that hinders watching this film? Do you think you watch it? Actually, this is a wrong question to ask you two specifically because you've read the book. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, straight away, I think no, because it is based on an existing property, as much as it does differ at the end. But I kind of think, well, this isn't wholly his story. This is this is an adapted work. So, of course, the original work is going to come into it a lot. Uh, and I think there was even a couple of screenwriters who adapted it prior to him anyway, and he kind of got it off them and then made some Shyamalan changes. So I would say no. Any other piece, like old, I think that was all. He wrote that one, didn't he? I think. Yep, that's all him. Yeah. So for that one, I think, yeah, going into that one, I haven't seen it, but if if I do, I'll be like, all right, here we go. But also I do wonder if it's like, is it unfair in the sense that the dude just loves genre? Like he just loves like- he kind of obviously has a little bit of a mystery element. I'm thinking back to like Sixth Sense. There is a mystery in the sense that they're sort of investigating this thing. And he loves supernatural stuff. And like, I don't know, those genres just naturally tend to lead towards maybe not as hard a twist as he creates, but they do. That is like inbaked in them to some degree. And I think I think he's just a genre director more than he is a twisty director. I think so, Fair yeah. Point. Even science. Like we did science, obviously. Yeah, I love science. And that's just a fun supernatural. But like to have... The twist, obviously, is how they end up beating the aliens. And, like, there's some wankery around, like, oh, how did they... The mysticism behind mum sort of leading their hand or whatever it is. But ultimately, it's like, is that any different from War of the Worlds where the way to beat the aliens was actually, no, they're just going to die off from the common cold? Like, it's still a twist, but that's part of the genre. Yeah, like, with stuff like that, sometimes that genre has such big ideas that I wonder Mm. if you get to a point in the story where you're like... We've gone too big. We actually just need a really <laughs> simple little dumb thing like, oh, a little spray of water yeah. will do it. Like, right, I, right. That happens quite often with the sci-fi leaning yeah. sort of stuff. Because you still need a resolution. Mm. And like to have a, a satisfying resolution, like you said, you've got big ideas, but you're trying to pack it into 90 minutes. Mm. Then, yeah, if you've gone real big, a twist is almost the, the necessary thing. So you can literally do a 180, turn on its head, resolution, close out the movie. Yeah. You know, we're done. Yeah. Now, the author of this, the original book is Paul Tremblay, and I was listening to um, an interview with him where he was saying, now, you, you two have both read the book, I yep. haven't read the book. Yep. In the interview, he said the first two thirds of this movie are pretty damn close to what he did. Yep. And then he sort of gets a bit funny about it because he goes, now the third act, uh, M. Night sort of just you know did what he wanted. Yeah. And he even went on to say, I would die on the hill for my ending. Sure. So I sure. get the sense he doesn't love what they did. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious. Uh, Without really wanting to spoil the book or anything, mm. I'm very curious to know where it differs because it is a, it is a, p- perhaps a polarizing ending for people when they watch. Well, it. For Sean, sure. yeah, you are you are correct that it is polarizing because I mm. much prefer the ending of the book, and I prefer the ending of the movie. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> can I can I have a guess at the difference? Yeah, yeah. Let's. I, I think you're right about. Book spoilers are a bit more because there's such a bigger commitment to them. I, I'm my opinion on spoilers is that people are way over the top about them. I think if something is, I'm happy for people to spoil things for me because if they think it's good and they give me the ending, great. I'm still going to have a good. If it's good enough, it can't be spoiled in my opinion because it's yep. the whole story. Maybe not so much for a, a mystery where it's like a who done it, but any other one, I kind of don't give a fuck. But but for books, I think it is a different thing because one books 
need love and need people buying them for the authors. And then two, yeah, if you're going to commit to reading a book and someone spoiled it, well, that's, you know, a very different amount of time to watching a 90 minute movie. Um, So I'll just throw that out there. But then, yeah, Tom, over to you. What are you going to say? Well, I guess I'm going to not spoil anything. I think the thing that I like and the thing that that I've I've read, I think, three or four of Paul's novels. Um, yep. And yep. every single one First of them. First name has- basis. Interesting. Yeah, oh. Paul and I are best friends. Um, he's right here, actually. No. <laughs> um, but, uh, Tom, that's, Tremb- a, that's a plant in a vase. <laughs> yeah, oh. you lose it. That's, that's the twist. Paul Tremblay is the <laughs> plant boy. Oh, he's, he's M. Oh, yeah. wait. Is that Shyamalan is actually the plant? Here's my big M. <laughs> um, so, Tom, can I just guess that is is the end of the book that you prefer? Is it a little bit more ambiguous than what we see in the film? It is significantly more ambiguous. Yeah, the the, the thing yeah. that I like about all of his novels that I have read is that all of them are horror, but he writes in he writes it in such a way that throughout the whole reading of it, in in everything I've read and including Knock at the Cabin, I'm co- you're constantly alternating back and forth of. Oh, there's a there's a skeptical, justifiable, logical explanation to what's happening, and then within a couple of chapters, you're like, no, it's ghosts, and then you mm-hmm. go back again, and then you go back again, and then you, like he has another book called Head Full of Ghosts, which the whole time you're like, I don't know if this is actually real or not, and yeah. the cabin does the same thing, yeah. and I actually I, I prefer I prefer the ending, I prefer the idea of walking away from that film, or when I finish the book, there's enough evidence for both sides to be correct. Yeah. yeah. Also, I feel like. And it's one of those things where it's it's written so you can get inside the mindset a bit more. But I feel like in the in the book, unless I'm wrong, Damo, that Jonathan mm. Groff's character, there are more hints of him seeing something in the light, like yeah, repeatedly. Yeah. I feel like it only happens once in the film at the very yeah. start, and that's it. Twice, I think, and but they don't commit to it. Right. There's a few things they don't commit to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does the book commit? Yeah. I feel like the book commits. No, well, uh, no, well, the- Sean, the, the book commits in a big way. <laughs> can I? The book commits in a way where. Uh, it's it's it commits and then goes back the other way to keep the ambiguity. Like yes, it gives more to that argument, but it, you're still not left with any kind of resol- like any hard resolution. Is the book more philosophical? Does it explore more of the philosophy and questions like that? Because I think that's a real failing of the movie. It does a bit, yeah. Yeah, I would say yes. Like even just through you know, obviously prose writing. You've got a lot more space to dig into the philosophy of it. You can literally get the internal mind of your characters. Yes. You can say, well, they've been dealt this impossible choice and now we get to hear what they internally what they're grappling with. Where obviously for film, they can argue at each other, but there's still so much going on behind the scenes that we, we can't know. So I think, yeah, in, in, like intrinsically just because of the medium, it is more philosophical. Also, his writing is... He's a beautiful writer. Yeah. Like he's it's first class, first class, fucking stunning writing. And so, like, yeah, he really like gives these great descriptions to things, which includes the internal mind of of our characters. And so, you really do, you really do get more uh, depth on all that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah, cool. I also just want to say too that I I, I enjoyed at parts of the film too, and I'm not coming from a oh, the book was better because <laughs> I hate that. I'm a big lover of adaptation doing something new and different. Yeah. Yeah. I just prefer the version, the written version. Yeah, great. This is very true. Can I can I just tell people that when I first met Tom, there was an adaptation of something, I can't remember what it was, we'd both read it, 
And I sort of complained because some characters that were cast just like didn't really resemble characters in the comic or something like that. And he was basically just like, shut up, you idiot. It doesn't fucking matter. You've still got the comic. You can enjoy that anytime you want. And they've been friends and he was right. ever since. Yeah. What yeah. was that? That's yeah. really funny. I can't. I, I feel like it was probably Preacher yep. or Could have been Preacher. something like that. I, mm. I can't remember what it was at the time. But yeah, as soon as he said it to me, I was like, yeah, of course. He's actually, he's absolutely correct. I mean, yeah. yeah. That's my and, philosophy on yeah. all adaptation is that, yeah, cool. This, Except this friend request. Exists. Done. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thanks, buddy. Thanks, mate. But yeah, I agree. I think, yeah, adapted work is very much its own thing and should be because we already have the original. Like, why do we need a shot for shot of that? Yeah. Like, that, yeah, that's arguably less interesting, other than for those who aren't willing to read the original. Fuck you, then, you lazy cunt. Go read the original. Like, <laughs> yeah, get off your ass. Well, you've got Paul Tremblay, who's like, seems a little bit cut up about how they've changed mm-hmm. the ending and that sort of thing. He's so close to the work that it probably does hurt him, but I think sure. you probably do look at it. And I haven't read it. I don't know what's better, what the movie or the book. That it doesn't really matter. Mm. Sometimes a filmmaker comes at it and they'll look at the book and they'll be like, "That's not cinematic, though. How can I make this more cinematic for yeah. the audience?" It's, it's they're, they're different mediums. And, great call, and that's dude. What happens. Yeah, that's a great call because yeah, ultimately there's a reason. Like when you're writing a story, I think if anyone like as a writer, I don't consider myself a screenwriter, even though that's what we studied and what my, some of my work has been in. But like, I just consider myself a writer. And then when you, you're writing a story, you've got to decide what medium is this? Is is it yeah. going to be prose? Is it going to be on screen? Is it like fucking like an audio radio drama? Is it going to be a comic book? Whatever it is. But ultimately, you're still just a writer. You're just choosing the medium that best fits the story. But then yeah. likewise, yeah, if you've, someone's written a book, like, like this is where people get so worked up about, oh, it's different from the book. But then also, it fucking has to be. Books are huge. Like, you can't yeah. <laughs> have a 90-minute, two-hour movie from a book. So, of course, you've got to make some changes. But you also should make changes because like you're saying Khans, it's 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 a completely different medium so to to fit it into that landscape you need to make some changes sometimes big changes yeah and i i think also and, and in defense of of Charlemagne for changing the ending is i think it is harder to do the ambiguity that Tremblay does well in film because a lot of it is mm. perception and people viewing something whereas it, you've got to show it like we've got to see yeah, what yeah. you're doing so i think I think there's less ability to be ambiguous. Having said that, there is one significant change in the back half that that does completely change the the well, probably two actually. There are two significant major changes yeah, in the yeah. back half that really do change the narrative. And I think also uh, Tremblay might be also annoyed because he wasn't on any of the promotional material at all. There is nothing yeah, which is anywhere fucked. that's like. Based on the book by Paul Tremblay. Yeah. You know what makes it even more fucked is because every poster I saw for it had in really, really big writing screenplay by M. Night Shyamalan and the two other people who are credited for the screenplay. Yeah. You never really see the writer yes, massive. So to, to take Paul Tremblay's name away from it, but then still have all this promotional material where it's got three writers' names, mm. like the biggest thing on the poster. Yeah, madness. Is fucking crazy. Yeah. And like- Obviously, you watch the film and Paul Tremblay's name's big on the screen mm. at the start, you know, based on the book and that. But yeah, I, I don't know. Is part of it too just 
This is the first film that Paul Tremblay's had. Like, if it's Stephen King, you're probably going to have Stephen King mm. on the movie poster. Yeah. Is it just is it just the way the industry works? I don't know. I just felt it was a bit. I felt it was disrespectful. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I, that was my take. Is like that's fucked. They should put his name on there. I think ultimately it comes down to a marketing thing. Stephen King is a household name, like we've talked about. Paul Tremblay, unfortunately, despite the fact he writes fantastic books, is not a household name. So for horror people, that selling point is going to work. They're like, fuck, I love Paul Tremblay. For the average Joe who doesn't know who he is, that means nothing to them. So I, my sense is that yeah. they're just like, oh, why would we bother putting that on there? The people we're trying to market to who don't already know that this is an adapted work from Paul Tremblay, that's not going to sell them on it. And the ones that do know, well, they already know. So what's the fuck? Like, I can kind of see the logic behind it, but just as a point of respect. Yeah, fucking put his name yeah. on there. As a point of respect, just make... Like, have a different marketing campaign. Have a poster specifically for when you're marketing to that horror section of people online who know Paul Tremblay and his work. And even just respect for him so that he can hang that up in his office and see his name on the poster. Like, it's... I don't know. I don't really like the way Hollywood handles things sometimes. Especially not for writers. Like, it is... It's Like, even you saying how writers are are so rarely uh, put on the poster... I, I still don't understand why that's the case. Like, I get how much influence a director has over the whole entire thing, and that's why their name goes on there, and I can 100% get behind that, especially if it's like if, you, if you'd buy into the auteur theory and all that sort of thing. But the writer wrote the fucking story. That's what you're connecting with. You're connecting with their characters, with their dialogue, with their, like, plot points. I, it baffles me that the right like, more people aren't being like, oh, I love that screenwriter. I've watched four of his movies and I think he's awesome or she's awesome or whatever. Like, yeah. it blows me away. That's the thing, isn't it? Like, we're always, whenever there's film discourse, it's always like Spielberg, Scorsese, like, who's mm. the best director? You never really talk about writers, though, do you? Like, you, no. you only ever talk about them if they're like the the Aaron Sorkins yes. or like those really yes. well known ones for a specific yeah, reason. It. Yeah. Whereas you've just, yeah, I don't know. That's why Letterboxd is cool if you do have it because you mm, can check mm. like your stats and you can see like, oh, I've watched four movies this year by this right. screenwriter, and sometimes you don't even realize yeah, that yeah, you've done yeah, that. Yeah, good call. Yeah. So yeah. it shines a light on stuff that 100%. isn't just directors and part of like the thing i feel sorry for paul Mm. tremblay about this is a big deal for him regardless of what you think of the movie to see his name and then that's this this movie's a gateway for people to find his books yeah and so i just think that the studio having taken his work for for a fee obviously but just put his name out there get get more things happening it benefits them because if he becomes more popular and they adapt more of his work he's got some incredible books you could do all sorts of things that's it dude yeah yeah. Do you want to know two fun facts that I have discovered while I've been Always. Uh, doing Because Just because I've wanted to know more about the, the shooting style of it because we've talked about how great the Big M's directing style is and the weaponry of camera use. And also we got some insight into who these cinematographers are. Yeah. So they shot it on 35mm okay. film and they bought lenses from the 90s to use so it would look like a classic 90s thriller. Oh, Like they okay. deliberately used older cameras. To give it that kind of older look. Interesting. Should have taken the cameras to the beach that makes you old, M9. You've got it right there. There's, there's quite a few things about this film that I'm not a massive fan of that I didn't really mm. engage with. But I certainly respect M9 because I, I don't think he's ever really boring as a director. Yeah, no, He's always cool. doing interesting things yeah. with his framing yeah. and his blocking and the, the camera moves and, and mm, all that sort mm, of stuff. Mm. Even just in that first scene which is like unsettling because of the way it's framed, really. Yeah, yeah. And because you've got an enormous man, um, Dave Batista, walking out of the forest. And he's I just the love biggest being, man the, in the world. Just that, that yeah. camera angle, just seeing every wrinkle on Dave's head. Oh, I love it. It's gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. Yeah, he's a mountain of a man next to the tiniest yeah. little girl. Yeah. I want to touch his head so bad. I was watching this movie <laughs> and I was like, man, I wonder what it would feel like to 
To just do, to kiss Dave Batista on his little head. Not on his little head, on his big head. He's a big man. I reckon it would give you good luck your entire life. 100%. Yeah. He's, he's um, just while we're talking about, you know, we're talking about other things and the things we like. Um, he's mm. unreal in this too. He, he's, he his performance is yeah. phenomenally good. This, this, yeah, is, the, this is the problem yeah. with um, awards season and this genre. He won't get a look in. He should. No. He's the three of us. We know this. He is a sensational actor. Yeah, this is probably his best role mm. so far. He's incredible in Blade Runner, but it's yep. such a tiny role. Whereas this, he is—he's <laughs> a bad guy in this, but he's the heart and soul of the movie in a weird way as well. Well, no, yeah. but see, that's the thing. Is—is is he the bad guy? Well, in, in yeah, technically, yes. He's in the sense yeah. that he's the antagonist. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. He's essential antagonist. But he for is sure. so earnest and. Uh, th- it's just a performance that sort of makes you lean in and just really trust him, like which is bizarre because of the character that he's playing. It, uh, yeah, I, I yeah. was kind of really blown away by the performance. His performance and M Night's direction are the two mm. like absolute fantastic yeah. elements of this movie. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. And like because he's he's such a presence, literally physically, but obviously like he's got that screen presence thing that's a bit undefinable, and I don't really know how to describe. But you're right; it's it's not. It's that, but it's paired with um, this like like sincere, genuine empathy and emotion. And he's like he generally just wants to like look after this family, and he's so sincere. And even like having the the details about him being a teacher and this sort of stuff yep. is just like it's like you your break is your heart is breaking for him because you you really do empathize with the fact that he's he doesn't want to be here, he doesn't want to be doing this, but he has to. And so he like. Just incredible performance to get that side to to make us empathize so strongly with him. I I, I don't even know how he does. I kind of like I'm trying to like think about what it is in his performance. Lost, lost for words. Mate. I'm kind of lost for words to yeah. describe the performance. Yeah. And I think it's worth noting with these with these big boys who've come from a wrestling background. Mm-hmm. He has a surprising lack of ego in the choices that he makes as an actor. Yeah. And yeah. it it's an easy comparison and it's there for everyone to see, but you can easily compare him with a contemporary, Dwayne yep. Johnson, yeah. who whose ego is present in every scene that he does in a film, yeah, yeah. where it's like, I, you can kind of go into a Dwayne Johnson film and know exactly what he won't do, just based on his screen persona, yep. whereas Dave Batista... Yep. He's he's gonna win a fucking Oscar at some point. Inevitable. He's, yeah, he's becoming a seriously good actor. Yeah, it's exciting. Yep. Like it's genuinely exciting. Like even now that he's off the Marvel train and he said he never wants to do that again. One because the, the yep. workout regime he's not interested in. But yeah, he's just gonna have more options to do more interesting roles. And like obviously directors and casting agents are like taking note. And I'm really excited. I think yeah, at some point he's gonna make us weep, and it's gonna be amazing. Boys, I think Hollywood isn't ready for the Batista bomb, and it's coming. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to explode. This is a nuclear bomb that's about to go off. Someone as physically distinctive as him mm. shouldn't really be able to slip into like character roles yeah. as as beautifully as he does. He's a real, he's an enigma. I'm yeah. really excited about him. Yeah. Do you know what it is? He can play. Again, he is an enormous man. Yeah. I've never seen someone so big be so good at playing small. Yeah. Oh, like, that's a nice. He way is to so that. good at it. Yes. And it's like. Like, while we're just on Dwayne Johnson, he's played meek characters, mm. but he's still big, if that makes sense. Yep. Whereas, like, I'm thinking of my favorite, probably one of Dwayne Johnson's best roles is in the movie Pain and Gain by Michael Bay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And where he is, he is playing sort of an insular, meeker character. But Batista can play small. Yes. He can just sort of shrink himself down. And even though he's this towering presence. and But also, 
he he's prepared to be a villain, yeah. be the bad guy, be an idiot, like lose, yeah, take a smaller do role, do all these really yeah, interesting choices. Yeah. Even like Tom, there's a great example of that even in the in the new Knives Out. Yes, it's a very early scene in the film. It's where he's sort of he's all big on himself, and then he says something I can't remember what he does, but his mum slaps him, right? And like you know, dresses him down a bit, and he he does. He shrinks in that moment. Mm, he is mm. an enormous guy. He's probably got a singlet on at the time. His arms are huge, and yet you actually just watch him really just shrink down yes, and it reminds yep. me of that video that always pops up online of Christopher Reeve when he his oh, yes. body posture does that change where yep. he's suddenly Superman yeah, it's actually yep. incredible to watch it happen mm. and like Dave Batista has got that that I don't know what it is yeah. I'm lost hey. for words when I talk about Dave <laughs> James Gunn make Batista Superman you know <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he won't do it he won't do yeah, it because then he has nah. to commit to another fucking psycho superhero right <laughs> <laughs> I think also with with the Dwayne Johnson of it all, how like even when he's playing small or meek or whatever we want to, it's really like the joke is oh but look he's a big dude so isn't it funny that he's that he's a meek guy yeah. or whatever with Batista you forget how big he is like yeah. and then you get it and then what's amazing is then you get a shot showing his size and you're like holy fuck that's right hmm. god like that just changes the whole dynamic Im- immediately which is perfect in this film because he he'll have these little vulnerable moments where you're like mm. oh he's just a just a sport teacher who's just trying to coach that basketball team or whatever yeah, it is. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, the camera will pull back and, oh, he's a very physically threatening man who could yes. crush me with one hand. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there's even Dave, a, there's a great, do it. There's a great line in the opening. That, that opening scene I generally think is so amazing for a few different reasons, but there's one line that his character has where he catches the grasshopper and then she's like going to open the thing. He's like, no, no, let's just let them calm down a little. And you're like, that's his whole like he that's his whole thing is he's trying to keep everyone calm. He's yep. got the people in he's got them caught inside their glass cage, but he needs to keep them calm so he can do what he needs to do. And I just yeah, I I I think when you can get a line like that in early in your movie to tell the audience this is who this character is, that's fucking yep. magic right there. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. All right, guys, where are we scared? No. Uh, yeah, it's not, there's not like, no. Stressed, yes, but not, never yes. scared. Never scared. Yeah, there's like, there's a there's a tension the whole way through, but I agree, it's not scared, especially when you're like, for our, for our heroes, if they wait long enough, the bad guys are just going to kill themselves off. They don't have to, like, it's uncomfortable and it's not fun, but they, they're going to keep killing themselves and then maybe they'll be fine. So, like, on that side, the, the stakes don't, I mean, the stakes are definitely very high, but yeah, I didn't really feel that that level of fear for them or for me at any real point. The stakes and the tension are weird because I think for me, they drain out pretty early. Okay, yeah, yeah. Like from the moment you you obviously reach a point where you learn that mm. they're not going to harm them. No, no. They're going to harm. They're going to harm themselves. Yeah, quite the opposite. Yeah. But you you suspect that sort of pretty early too. So from that sort of moment on, you're kind of like, well, I I just look at it and I'm like, just. Just ride it out. Mm. Let these crazy maniacs come into your house, kill themselves, and then get on with your life. Right. Like, and the the events of the movie show that hey, that's probably going to be a bad thing. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but I I didn't really feel feel any fear, and I think I hadn't watched the trailer going into it, so I thought we were in for home invasion, sort of like right. the strangers type thing, and there was going to be some carnage and some violence. Yeah, yeah, and the violence that we see is. Pretty muted and pretty like shot in a way that's a little bit PG thirteen. Mm. I was a little bit like Big M. You're a bit of a big well, coward, Sean. <laughs> you say that this is give me, his give me second some movie since the happening that is a hard R in the US. Yeah, yeah. This is a hard yeah, it's R. Right, rated R. Interesting. I, okay. I gotta be honest. I actually respect uh, the way he didn't focus in on the gore. Like, there's one one shot again. We're talking about the framing. Talking about the blocking when Rupert Grint's character cops it. And you have this like <laughs> this beautifully framed shot of where you don't even get like the top of his head, but you see like I think it's his neck and shoulders. Yeah. Like, he's obviously got the sack on his head, and they're coming at him. You don't even you hear the sounds of the thwack thwack into his head, and you see this neck do this horrible sort of left then right motion, and it's oh it's awful. And then we cut outside, and you hear more thwacking, and it, yeah, he's copping it. But I actually think to me, I don't mind that one because it's like yeah, that's not the point. It's not the point to be gruesome and to really like indulge in, oh my God, look at them. They're using these crazy weapons to fucking pulverize his head or something like that. That's not really the point. The point is them being in this house with these people. Are they crazy? Are they not? They have to make a decision. It's an impossible. Like all that stuff that I think, like it's the philosophy of it all that I think if we dug too deep into the gross carnage of it, it would lessen it a bit. So I, I personally didn't mind the the way it was uh, yeah. done. I was getting bored, so I wanted some carnage. <laughs> Carney wanted some yeah. carnage. I, I think it's a thing yeah. of where I think the fear of it isn't isn't from the carnage or isn't from Batista mm. or, or like the only the only person that you're genuinely a little bit afraid of out of the four is Redmond Rupert Grin's character because he seems to be the one who's yeah, the most yeah. like <laughs> dicey, and then he's dead first. Mm. Yeah, but he's pathetic. He's Tom. gone. He's pathetic though. Yeah. We see in the first, like, when they come in the house, he's a weak piece yeah. of shit. Yeah, yeah, He gets fucked he up. He gets fucked yeah. up. And I f- actually, I, I want to talk about Rupert Grint. I find it, um, I feel bad for him because I think he's really saddled with this Ron Weasley, Harry of Potter course, stuff. yeah. It's, it's hard to watch him in a movie without thinking about that character. Right. And then you spend, like, it's distractingly so for me. But then I, I had enough time with him where I was like, I'm actually reasonably impressed with his accent. Yep. I kind of like what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. 
But one thing he did that was very funny, he's talking, does he talk about how his dad used to beat him up or something, mm. which isn't funny, it's horrible, but he's holding a weapon and he's kind of like, oh, if I could take him now holding this. And it's like, you had that five minutes ago when the dad beat the <laughs> shit out of you. <laughs> what are you, you going to do, mate? <laughs> That's, I had not caught that. that is uh, very funny, yeah. He's a, yeah. yeah. He was an interesting character yeah. who... I think maybe just because it's Rupert Grint, mm. he felt a little bit yeah. wasted. But yeah, yeah, but, I don't know. But yeah, it's on him though. The, the point I was making before about the fear is that the fear doesn't come from any of them or any of the weapons or anything. Mm. The fear comes from the audience going, "What if they're telling the truth?" And that's yeah, yeah, that's where the core concept is. It's like, all right, they've come to the house, and very quickly, very quickly, the fear is not they're going to hurt these people. The fear then becomes, mm. yeah, but what if they're telling the truth? And then and then yeah. you spend the rest of the movie being like, could you do it? Like, you know, could, could you do this? Yeah. That's it. That's can, it. Can I can I tell you, boys, why I think I just really possibly just didn't engage that much with the movie? Mm. Is because from the moment you realize they're not going to harm them, they're just there to implore them to do this to save mm. humanity. I think in my mind, I'm like, I would let them all die. Right. <laughs> I would let these four people kill themselves. Yeah. yeah. I'm not going to kill my family because these four people have come into my house mm. and put the TV on. Yeah. Like, there's no part of me that really, like, got behind that aspect that op- of it. That option, I guess, yeah. That option, yeah. yeah. Like, and I know that that probably, where it does lead is is crazy then right. for that rationale. But, yeah, I think I, I just was kind of like, if they go along with what these four intruders are telling them to do, mm. I'm going to think they're fucking idiots. Yeah. <laughs> well, that brings us nicely to our next question. Did they act wisely or foolishly? Every character in this movie is the dumbest cunt on <laughs> Oh, Sean. And I will not. I will not hold back. That includes the daughter. Oh, oh what? Jesus. Little where? <laughs> but but Sean, here's the thing. No, no, I don't think you can argue When's that point anymore because yeah, I can. Th- but yeah, I can. But they were right. Like this is the thing. So yeah, if it was ambiguous. It, it's not ambiguous. It is very. M nine is like yes. Their sacrifice stopped the apocalypse. So mm. Jonathan Groff, bad writing. Daddy Andrew, writing he makes end. a great choice. Or Eric. Whichever one he is, he makes a good choice. <laughs> I think he, I think he's Andrew. Um, the the choice to have him concussed for the whole movie is just like a little bit. It's a little bit frustrating to watch someone just be completely dazed. It's right. kind of like you're tied to a chair. You're not really going to move throughout the course of this movie. I'm just not really enjoying the fact that you're just completely like fucked. But in this but moment. again, that was that was to add to the ambiguity because he's he's seen something in the light, and again in the book, this was definitely a bigger element. I think it's better in the book then, man, because right. the movie doesn't commit to the ambiguity. Yeah, see, again, like, like yeah, in the book, because he's he does have faith. They obviously have that line where it's like he, when they're in the waiting at the orphanage, and he's like, you, you can, can pray, pray if, if you want. want to. So he's got faith. He sees something in the light. Basically, it's really like playing with did he actually see something is it just because his concussion but he's starting to really bend towards their argument and you just and you don't know again it's all of that ambiguity of is it because he's concussed is it because he yeah. there is this is real the movie didn't hit it successfully for yeah, me yeah, and I, yeah. I wanted to yell at the screen every time when is standing by the, her dad's mm. there's moments where she's standing behind the back of the other one the one right, who isn't concussed right. of eric uh, eric yeah of eric and i'm just like Cut him free. Right. Cut him free. She eventually does because they tell her to, but it's like, come on, you guys have got to, not just her, but the dad's like, you've got to tell her to react sooner. He could have cut you free so much sooner. Right. And the, they, they allude to her having like this little trick that she's going to do when when I give you the nod, do it. Yeah. 
All it is is her fucking screaming. <laughs> Admittedly, it's wonderful because it's about Paddington. Yeah. <laughs> but she screams and it's just a distraction. And in that moment, Batista and his guys, they're dumb as fuck too. Because right. they go over to her and completely don't. No one's ever watching what anyone's doing. Yeah, they're not, that was when able to they're escape not experts, and get outside Sean. in the first place. They're not good place. at this. They're not, oh, they're idiots, Tom. They're just, yeah, they're just people. <laughs> they're just people, Sean. I know they're just people. And I've seen but you visions. watch it and it's frustrating. <laughs> it's so frustrating to watch. Just a bunch of idiots muddle their way through a fucking dumb plot. <laughs> Can I? Well, I'm going to throw out a warning because I'm going to say something. About, I'm going to give a spoiler for the book. So anyone who's listening, stop it. Go read a whole book and come back and listen to the last however many minutes of this podcast. Take your headphones off, Sean. Do it now. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> but you've been warned, so here it comes. So in the book, something happened that was even more frustrating. You're saying you're getting frustrated. So there's something in the book that happened that made me disconnect from the book entirely. Oh. I was there all the way through. And then something happened and I was like, no, nah, I don't care anymore. I don't care what happens. I am interested to know what this bit is and I think I know what it is. I think you do know what it is. So it's when the gun comes out and they're like fighting with the gun. The gun goes off, shoots when and kills her. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. She is dead. Okay, because watching the film, I thought Wen was going to kill. Like, I thought Wen was going to die and the two dads would survive sort of thing. But That's wow. exactly how the book ends. So in the book, there is no conversation between the two of them of which one of us is going to... We both believe now which one of us is going to kill ourselves. Who pulls the trigger? No one. That's what I'm saying, dude. They're fighting they, over they the gun live. and it goes off. Oh, they're fighting over the gun and it goes off. Yeah. Right. So I think, it's, I think it might be... I think even um, Batista's character dies earlier. Quite a bit earlier than I think mm. it's even one of the girls he's fighting over the gun with. And so as soon as Wen died, I'm like, well, then they like the only reason they have, which the movie to this is where I like the movie better. And it, it is, it's partially, it's, it's part of the conversation we've had before about rules and things all coming together and all the rest of it is that for the dads making this decision, they're like, yeah, we buy in. This is the apocalypse. And how can we let our daughter have to live through the apocalypse? That's sort of where it comes from it's like really having to go all right the thing that's actually making us make a decision here is the happiness of her future life and i liked how they described i can see her she's she's become a doctor she's having dinner with you and it's beautiful because you're like yeah that's what you're sacrificing for where as soon as she dies in the book i'm like there's nothing left fuck them fuck the whole world let the apocalypse come they just Mm -hmm. fucking killed our daughter like to me, it just really took all the wind out of the sails. Pissed me off, obviously, because I'm getting worked up now. Yeah. Uh, and I, I just didn't understand the decision as a story from a story point of view. I did not get that decision, <laughs> and I was, I was, I finished the book, and then literally, I was a bit like you with this movie. I forgot how the book finished because I must have disconnected <laughs> so much. Fucking put it in my egg because I didn't want to know. I didn't want to but remember not that. A different kind of egg though, not not a good egg. Like the rotten no, egg part egg. of your brain. It's, it was rotten, just yeah. Where you put shit shit books and shit movies. Tom, this makes you sound like a fucking maniac because you love it. It does. It does. Hear me I'm out. I'm with Damo. Movie beats book. No, 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 no. But Thanks but, but here's the thing, Sean. Here's the thing. The reason I like the ambiguity of it is because of the way that Wen dies and because they never really get a complete definitive answer that this is the apocalypse that I've definitely... like Because they never come down on this is definitely happening. Wen's death and the fact that then the apocalypse doesn't happen, there's this point where it's like, well, did it not happen because Wen died or was it never... like? And I just just love that idea. I'm back. I'm back. No, I like counterpoint, that. counterpoint, because the book actually like the, <laughs> uh, Team Tom, Team Tom. The reason <laughs> baby. That, so these two guys basically like hold hands and walk off into the apocalypse and are basically saying, <laughs> if it is real, fuck it. And they literally say the line, uh, because I think one of the four uh, the four horsemen basically says to them The four horsemen. <laughs> one of them basically says, uh, because it wasn't 
done deliberately, her death doesn't count. And there's literally a line where one of them says, if her death doesn't count, what's like, why would, like, what's the point of any of it? This, I can't remember the exact wording of it, but literally they choose to not end the apocalypse because they're like, well, if her death isn't enough, then fuck any God that would sort of put this on us. So there's actually, they categorically say that her death doesn't stop the apocalypse. So does the book end with what? Them just walking away? Yeah. They get to the other truck. Yep. It starts to rain, I think, but there's never like explicitly. You don't know if the apocalypse is happening or not. So these, th- I find that interesting because those two guys have killed their daughter. Well, yeah, and they, well, yeah, they no, have their daughter has died. Their daughter has died. I wouldn't say they've killed her. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go well, that far. Well, they're responsible. Put a gun to your head. <laughs> Unbelievable. What a film. What a book. Yeah. So it's it, like definitely it's divisive for for both. Can I ask about? Can I ask a question? Can I ask a question about the book? Um point of view wise are we flipping around between characters yep yes good because all right here's a problem i have with the film the flashbacks to the two dads i don't really think they add much of anything to the film because i think in the really initial scenes you learn everything you need to know about the two characters Mm. they kind of give you everything and it's great yeah i I feel like i understand their points of view and 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 everything Mm. the flashbacks don't really add up to much and they it left me really wishing that the movie established things more in a way that like Batista and the other three are super menacing. And it's like, fuck, they're in the house. They're going to hurt us. And the flashback should have been for the four horsemen characters. Yeah, right, right. I would have loved to have seen Batista really like standing over them. And you think, fuck, is this guy going to kill us? And then you flash back to him as a lovely fucking school teacher. Yeah, yeah. And you see, you see his, his life and his world start to unravel with these visions and stuff. Mm. I would have loved flashbacks of those guys. Yeah. That's an interesting they're story. They're really actually. underused characters. Yeah. And they're, I think, the more interesting characters. What do we learn in the flashbacks that really means anything? It just sort of piles onto the persecution that these two dads have felt in the world. Yeah. And it kind of, if anything, it's, it is justified having them because it adds to like that suspicion that particularly one of them goes, I think Eric yeah. goes pretty hard at like these people, they're homophobic they and they've come yeah. to threaten us. Yeah. Well, especially us. when the, he learns that Redmond is the same guy who beat him up in the bar that made yeah. him take fighting that, lessons and buy the gun. That is a, that is a weird thing that kind of... Kind of goes nowhere. Ambiguous, dude, because it adds to the ambiguity. That's that's the yeah. whole no, reason it, for it. I'm sure maybe in the book it's better than, but in the movie it doesn't have enough weight to it. There's never really a moment where the two dads are at odds with each other mm. over that, where he you know, vehemently thinks it's the same guy and the other one's maybe not sure. Right. And then you know, he runs outside to get the wallet and you find out, yep, it is. But by that point, you're like, all right, mm. it doesn't matter. It didn't add anything to the story. It just showed that, hello, you were correct, I guess. And 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 it's a super like massive coincidence as well. Yeah, well, it is, but it, it weakens it weakens the story for me. Yeah, okay, so yeah, I think to me it's like it's included because again, it's like one more element of adding to to this isn't real because to this doubt. this Redmond guy actually just co- coordinated this so he could get his revenge. So it's just like yeah, that's to yeah. me the purpose for it. I like that, but they don't linger enough on it to for, to let it actually breathe and grow into anything into a resentment between the yeah. couple or anything like that. But then ultimately, because this movie is choosing to not have ambiguity do you need to build in that much ambiguity like it's playing with the ambiguity that that Tremblay had in his book but then obviously goes oh but no here are some hard answers which again for me I really enjoyed I like a resolution um but I, I do think well then you don't need to go as hard on the ambiguity because you're gonna get this is gonna get resolved and that's when again you're like this is where adaptation comes in you're like okay well then you maybe do want to play with the stakes a bit and you do want to maybe give our four horsemen a bit of a background because actually you saying that of like this this very sort of 
sweet, mild-mannered mountain of a man teacher whose world becomes unraveled because some god has asked him to go force some strangers to kill themselves out in the mountains. That's a good fucking story. So, like, yeah, dropping in a few bits of that, that's pretty cool. And on top of that, Rupert Grint's character becomes more interesting. He's like this piece of shit criminal Mm. sort of bigot. And it's kind of like, I think it would be interesting to take that character and then invest him with purpose. Yeah, and suddenly okay. he thinks, I can atone for the horrible things I've done if I do if I see this right. plan through and, the then it, and save the world. And even have his reaction when he realizes, oh shit. That it's the guy. It's the guy. It's him. That he's, he's, and he yeah, goes, this is my test. Dude. I'm being tested. Uh, yeah. they, uh, they've really missed. Uh, yeah. I, I just don't think the flashbacks to the couple are that interesting. Mm. They're, they're both really good actors and the characters yes. are great. Yeah, I like yeah. it. But the flashbacks didn't really relate that much to anything that was going to happen. I think it was just motivation. It was just like, yeah, the fact that, yeah, he felt persecuted. The other one had faith. They loved this kid. His his parents, again, that persecution even came from those closest to him, from his parents. So this family really is his family. Like, I think it's just to add layers of motivation. Yeah. Yeah. All right, boys. What would we do in this situation? So I had this, while watching this movie, Mm. I was like, I don't don't know. Like, so in this version, though, so we're going off the film version. So there's no ambiguity in that the if, if we don't do this, the end of the world will happen. We just don't know that at this point. Yeah, right at the very end, we we find out, and then we have to make a hard call. Yeah, man. I guess it's just three. Because can I just pitch something to you, boys? Mm. Do you know what would happen if we don't do anything? Mm. We just get to wander around the apocalypse forever. Yeah, I'm not doing shit. <laughs> I get to <laughs> hang out with my best buds. Now, nah, but do you? Is it like would it be implied that? Yeah, you can wander out into the apocalypse, but it'll pretty quickly just swallow you up. No, there's that bit about them being the last people walking the earth. Yeah. Oh, well, then that's 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 why I watch it and I'm like, the choice is no choice at all. <laughs> Sit there and watch the lovely school teacher Dave Batista kill right. himself and then take your family and live your life. Yeah. Apocalypse boys, baby. <laughs> like, literally, if this scenario is presented to me, I'm never going to believe the four random people who have broken in and held me prisoner yeah. at my house. I don't care if they're putting the TV on. I'd be like, I've seen Mission Impossible. This is fake. <laughs> this is fake shit. This is special effects that look a little bit Just crap. waiting for Batista to pull his mask off and it's TC <laughs> underneath. <laughs> I will watch that TV screen and I'll see fucking M. Night Shyamalan's face pop up in that little scene that he did. And I'll right. be like, this is bullshit. That's Big M. <laughs> That's Big M on the screen. <laughs> uh, yeah, I would wait it out. I would yeah. wait for them to you know go through with their ritual, kill themselves. Yeah. And I'll be like, all right, is that it? Let's go. We're done here? Yeah. I look, yeah. I, th- I think that was my takeaway as well. One, if, if I thought they were crazy, I would be like, all right, kill yourselves then, I guess. And then even if, if I did come to believe, I'd be like, well, fuck the big man. Fuck God for needing to make this. Like, why Yeah. Why do we have to do that? Like, why is that a prerequisite to, to save the world? Fuck that. I didn't ask for that. Like, yeah, I'm just yeah. a dude. You, you would be like, oh, you want me to do it then? Well, you can get fucked. <laughs> yeah, I'm, walk, I'm, down, walk, I'm walking out here with my family. Yeah. Guys, I've I've read a li- not the Bible, but isn't there a Bible story literally where God's like, hey, kill your son. And then when the guy hesitates yes. and doesn't kill it, God's like, good boy. Yes. So, it's a I'm test. just saying, mm, we're going to pass. Right. It's a test. And when we pass it, and we will. We get a lifetime supply of Big M. <laughs> From the original Big M. The original Big Delicious. M. <laughs> Delivered by Big M himself, M. Night. I wonder what M. Night's favourite Big M flavour would be. Oh, I reckon he's a like, chalk banana boy. I yeah, I, I, was, I was thinking banana. That's the twist. Yeah. He loves banana. Banana's a chaotic Or choice. strawberry. I feel like he's a fruit boy. That's mm. you got to go chocolate. Chocolate. Hey, that. Sean, yeah. that's why I'm drinking this one. Tom, every time you drink it, I feel this little flutter in my heart. I feel happy for you. <laughs> Do you reckon Scandy Boys could get officially sponsored by Big M? Because that'd be sick. I, maybe I tell you, I tell you, who should get sponsored by Big M 
is the IMDb detective because whenever he's on a case, he's just gunning the big M. <laughs> oh, yeah. He doesn't smoke. He puts the pipe to his mouth and just pours big M into it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, is Big M an Australian thing? Do we yeah. need to clarify what Big M yeah. is? So Big M yeah. is a Big M is a milk is a flavored milk drink. You can get chocolate, strawberry, banana. Uh, is there um, another I one? I think it's also a specific side of Australia thing too, because in WA it's called Masters, not Big M. Well, what? And then in Queensland they don't do Big M, do they? They're big on the Farmers Union iced coffee, I think. Also a big fan of that. Wouldn't say no to a sponsorship from um, Farmers Union. If any flavoured milk companies are out there and want to sponsor Scaredy Boys, they could send us an email. They could find us. They could do list. Get in touch. Yeah, we're willing to change the name of the show. We'll become Milky Boys at the drop of a hat. We are cheap. We will sell out immediately. We are sluts for milk. <laughs> and that is all the Scaredy Talk we have for this episode. I've been David. I've been Sean. And I've been Tom Big M Reed, just in case you need me to put that in there, Big M. Uh, and if you Scaredy listeners like our show and would like to help us out, you can. It's really easy. You can just head over to patreon.com forward slash Scaredy Boys. Become a patron where for just five bucks a month, you get access to all our bonus episodes. We're having a lot of fun over there. We've been making some really fun stuff and we've got even more cool stuff coming out, including our audio commentary, which is looking like it's probably going to be... Oh, yeah. How's it going? Good question. Should we check it out while we're recording? Am I going to be disappointed? The, uh, some amazing things. So we've got the three options. We've got John Carpenter's The Thing. Yep. We've got uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh. <laughs> and we've got... Um, Monster Squad. Monster Squad. So John Carpenter's The Thing took a very early lead. <sighs> All the comments on Patreon were about, guys, we've got to get them to do Dracula again. Everyone wants to hear you. Tom, potentially reevaluate. It's such a cooker of a movie. Yes. A lot of, lot of pressure. Some pressure from you guys. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to rig this vote you're real try- hard. You're both trying to rig this election. I'm I'll, I'll happily rig it. <laughs> if there was investigations into an election, I'm, getting, I'm going to jail. Yeah. And then something amazing happened. Did, did Dracula hit the front? No, not even. Uh, don't don't stop the count. Don't stop well, no, it. It's still it's still running. Someone basically read all the comments and said, "Oh well, now I have to change my vote." Yes, can you I'm do that? Change it to Dracula. I didn't know you could do that. Yes. You can change the Dracula may rise from the dead. <gasps> so what's the, where are we at right now? What's going on? So uh, we are at John Carpenter's The Thing is at fifty four percent. Oh, so Bram Stoker's Dracula is at thirty six. Oh, for fuck's sake! And poor Monster Squad sitting back there at nine. <sighs> Hey, anyone who voted for Monster Squad, change your vote to Dracula. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to do Eddie. I, I generally don't care. I also don't think... Don't listen to him. I don't think elections should be rigged. Uh, that's just my personal feelings. Democracy is overrated. It's an endorsement. <laughs> We're not rigging. It's just a, I'm heavily, heavily endorsing Dracula. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. Join our patron, I guess, is the takeaway from that. Uh, you can also leave us a review wherever you listen, as that truly does help a bunch. Or just go out and tell your friends to have a listen. And lastly, if you have any comments about this episode or just want to say hi, you can email us at 3 at gmail.com or you can find us on Twitter at Boys or individually, I'm at Midday Pajamas. I'm Akani from 55. I'm at Awkward Trade. Stay scared, everyone. I want to touch his head so bad. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.